The Final Furlong Podcast is proudly brought to you by our official betting partner, Kaluki Sportsbook. With betting on all sports, immediate interaction with experienced traders, instant withdrawals, and the best odds guaranteed on UK and Irish horse racing. Kaluki have prominent betting pitches at race courses across the UK. Join us now at kalukisportsbook.co.uk. And the final furlong is brought to you by our official syndicate partner, All About Sunday, the ultimate racehorse ownership experience. Download the app to get involved with world-class trainers, including Henry de Bromhead, Gordon Elliott, and Donald McKay. Join us at allaboutsunday.com. And now, get busy listening and get busy winning. Here's your host, Emmett Kennedy. And it's great to have your company as we preview the weekend's action, specifically Saturday, as we are going to be back tomorrow to preview the Sunday series and the best bets for then, plus a bit of Saratoga US action, which will be live on Sky, and we will do all of that in the company of Timeformers. Mark Milligan. Mark, welcome back to the show. Crowd goes wild. How are you, my man? Good, good. I'm good. I've had a, a good, good week um, in between my laptop breaking down and various things going wrong with the body um, <laughs> I think I'm cre- I think I'm getting I'm just at that that age now where various little bits of me are just starting to to drop off seize up or give in um, but apart from that everything's fine back injuries are a compulsory requirement for all final full podcast members so that's just one of those things I'm afraid uh, before we preview the best bets for the Sugar Cup meeting and we've We've selected certain races. Uh, we're heading to the Curra, Haydock, and Newmarket as well. And then, of course, we're back on Friday to look at the Sunday series in Saratoga. Um, the news broke yesterday that Sylvester D'Souza, he's done. Bye-bye, the UK, off to Hong Kong. Um, he was quoted in the Racing Post as saying that you need to have a stable, uh, and I don't have one. It needed a lot of thinking, as it's not an easy move when you've got a family and young kids, but that's the way it goes sometimes. We talk about major horses being sold to Hong Kong, Australia, the United States, uh, to other jurisdictions, stallions leaving for Japan. But to have a major jockey go as well is is a big blow for racing. Yeah, it is. And Sylvester D'Souza, he's very well thought of in Hong Kong. He's had previous spells there before and he's always created a really big impression over there, which you would expect because he's a really good jockey. And obviously the prize money is really good over there as well. And that's not something that's going to attract people to stick around in this country because prize money is a major bugbear with everyone within horse racing at the moment. And jockeys are no different. They, they've got to make a, li- a living, haven't they? And Sylvester D'Souza has obviously received the security of a, a really good offer from the Hong Kong jockey club and, and he's going to be based out there for the foreseeable future. Neil Callum was out there for 11 years and um, he's spoken very eloquently about his time there. Um, not all of the positive, by the way. Uh, Harry Bentley is currently there, so he's going to be joined by D'Souza. And the fact that they made the offer to him, you just you get the feeling there's going to be more offers coming for, for other jockeys as well. And you know, Maybe by D'Souza's own... Like the fact that he's a three-time champion jockey and he's currently sitting on 25 wins for the season out of 235 rides... Uh, that in itself may very well be not up to his standard. Um, but most jockeys, they're in and around that. I mean, Jack Mitchell, David Egan, Richard Kingscott, 28-30 winners, uh, Ross Orion, Kevin Stott, 
Ryan Moore in 33, fair enough. Ryan Moore does a lot of international riding and spends a lot of time in Ireland as well. Um, Buick, obviously, the runaway leader on, on 96 uh, from Holly Doyle in, in 66. But it's um, it's a big story. Champion jockey, three-time champion jockey, Sylvester D'Souza waves goodbye to British Racing and heads to Hong Kong. Uh, you will be able to bet on him this weekend, but after that, I think he is donezo. Right, so we're going to start with the Sugar Cup at, at Ascot. Uh, first of all, Mark Milligan, jockey bookings have just come through. Um, the Racing League is on tonight. I have to admit, I'm much more interested in the Racing League this year than I was previously, and I'm looking forward to covering it. Um, but the Shergar Cup, I had to be reminded it's on this weekend. I think the Shergar Cup is... For me, I'm not that interested in the team element of it at all, to be honest. It doesn't interest me. It's a little bit gimmicky, isn't it? And It's just not, not really my kind of thing. What I do enjoy about the Shergar Cup is seeing some of the top international jockeys that we don't get to see very often come over and strut for a day around what's probably the world's best race course. And we've got a star-studded lineup this year with the likes of Karen McAvoy and Emma Jane Wilson. Um, obviously, we've got our own Frankie riding there as well. And a big up to Joe Mason, who's based in the north, as am I, who's a really, really good jockey. Anyone who hasn't seen much of, of Joe Mason the last year or so, you really need to start taking her very seriously because she is such a good jockey. Yeah, Joanna Mason, um, who obviously will be on the, the ladies' team, uh, Takashi Yokohama uh, comes over as well. We've got Christophe Lemaire, who's been part of it before. Um, it's, it's intriguing, but I did have to be reminded that it's on. Uh, that's that's the only thing that I can say to you about that. Uh, and Kieran, Kieran McAvoy is a weapon, particularly uh, around Ascot. Uh, still remember his ride on Shamadel when he won the St. James's Palace Stakes. Memories. Right, the Dubai Duty Free Sugar Cup Challenge, 320 over a mile and four. Pride of Priory. Intriguing name. Uh, Kieran Schumark for William Haggis is 130 with Kaluki Sportsbook, who go 4-1 to one about charging thunder for David Amara and Rene Pilchuk. Uh, Gary Moore has got Antonio Frezu on the Whipmaster. 4-1. to one. Jason Collett for George Bowie and Pretty Sweet at 8-1. to one. And Southern Voyage is the same price at 8-1 to one, uh, for a good friend, Neil Callan, uh, for Archie Watson. They are the current prices for uh, the first race that we're going to talk about, at least on the Final Forum podcast from Kaluki Sportsbook. 320 at Ascot. Talk to me, Mark. Who do you like? Yeah, I'm going to start as I mean to go on here because I think that the last three or four races of the Shergar Cup could well turn into a William Haggis benefit. Let's go. He's really well stacked in the last few races. And I like his pride of Priory in here. Who, to be fair, started the season a little inauspiciously, was only 11th at Chester, was then 15th at York, but really got his act together when he was switched to the all-weather at Kempton. When he won over 11 furlongs, he was then stepped up to 12 furlongs at Newcastle. And what I like about this horse is that he's not winning by very big margins. And this is something that I've touched on in the past on the podcast, in that the handicap tends to struggle to get a lid on these horses that only just do enough. And I like Pride of Priory. I like his attitude. 
I like the way last time he kind of got stopped in his run. He stayed on, he picked up again when some horses might have thrown in the towel there. I just think there's plenty to like about this one. He's still only had eight starts as well. He's, eight starts. He's won four of them. I don't think that his improvement this season has necessarily coincided with getting back on the all-weather. I think that's probably just circumstantial more than anything because he did win at Haydock and Ripon last season, albeit one of it was just a, a match race at Haydock, but he, he did win at Ripon and eight runner maiden before then. I think there's plenty to like about Pride of Priory. Uh, it's hard to disagree with you. He's also bringing the all-weather form to Ascot, which of course is a nice angle. Um, for some reason, I said it before, I'll say it again, for some reason, horses who've got form in the all-weather are able to translate that very, very well to Ascot, and that obviously comes back to uh, how the, the cert track was relayed. It just seems to really suit them, but he's a very progressive horse, and I like the fact that he's taken him to the all-weather because he was bitterly disappointing uh, at York, beating 23 lengths, and he's just freshened him up in the month of, of June and July. Uh, and so he's coming in here in, in good form. Um, the one question mark that I had about him was Pride of Priory in a double-figure field. Is that a concern for you? Um, I would say no with this horse, simply because he's only got eight starts under his belt. And when you think he was beaten double digits in those big fields at Chest and at York, uh, I would be prepared to put that down to those races just being a little bit too competitive for him at that stage of his development. I think he's got a little bit more know-how now. I think he's got a little bit more track craft. We're only going to have 10 runners. It's, it's not a massive field. It's not a massive issue for me. I like it. And when you hear Mark say not a massive issue, and though just the way he spoke about that, I think he's quietly confident. I think he's quietly bullish, that man. All right, the 355 at Ascot. Uh, there's our old friend William Haggis again, Montesib. Danny Tullop on board, 5-2 to two for the 355, the Shergar Cup mile. Isakai. Really like this horse, Nigel Tinkler and Frankie DeTori on board. A four to one shot with Kaluki Sportsbook. Uh, Budro, Jamie Spencer takes the ride for David O'Mara at 13 to two. Jungle Cove is the same price for Jessica Harrington with Emma Jane Wilson on board. And Charlie Fellows has got Takishi Yokama at 10 to one for Via Serendipity. I really like uh, Isakai here, my friend. I thought that was a much better run uh, at York. There was no real excuses for him. Um, when he, he flopped back in May. But he's turned it around since then. I like the performance at Doncaster. I thought that was better, only beaten two lengths. Uh, fine run at the Royal Meeting. Uh, and last time out, he just proved what a solid contender he is. Um, I, I think he's got a big, big chance here. I have a feeling, though, there's a certain William Haggis horse that's going to be your pick, though. Yeah, it's, it's eat, sleep, repeat for me here. <laughs> now, people with long-ish memories will know that I was really keen on this horse for Royal Ascot for the Buckingham Palace Stakes. And I think he was one of the best back horses of the week, certainly in the big handicaps there. He'd, 
He'd absolutely dotted up in a Goodwood handicap in May, and he was made 7-2 favourite for the 29-runner Buckingham Palace stakes on the back of that. And let's be honest, for a horse having just his fourth career start, to be beaten just one and a half lengths into fifth was quite some effort. Whether he deserved to go off favourite for that race is a moot point, given how inexperienced he was. And I think he more than backed that up in the uh, in a big handicap at the July meeting in the Bunbury Cup last time as well at Newmarket, where again he was beaten less than two lengths into fourth behind Bless him, 18 runners there again. So he's proven in 29 runner fields, 18 runner fields. He's only got a 10 runner field here. And I think he'll get back on the up here. I'm going to shy away from saying he's a GH in a H. Group horse in a handicap. Which was the, the which was what I was thinking after he'd won at Goodwood, to be honest. And I've just checked those aspirations a little bit on the back of his last two runs. But his last two runs have been really, really solid handicap form. This is nowhere near as competitive. I'm hoping Montesib gets back on the up here. Montesib, who is currently a 5-2 to two shot with Kaluki Sportsbook. Right, the 4.30 at Ascot. Again, this will be live on Sky and on ITV as well. Uh, and the betting has just disappeared from my screen. How could that happen? In a fantastic world of this. There we go. We're recovered. We're all right. It's okay, mate. Technical issues recovered. Uh, Kaluki go 5-2 to two about Berkshire Breeze for Andrew Balding. Joanna Mason on board, uh, who was given a big mention by Mark at the start of the show. Franz Strauss for John and Thady Gosden. Jose Luis Martinez on board. I really like this horse's chances for Godolphin. 3-1 uh, to one with Kaluki. Hamaki. For that man, William Haggis. Could it be three for Haggis from Mark Milligan? We'll find out in a second. Jamie Spencer has been drawn to get the ride. A five-to-one shot currently with Kaluki. Pub Crawl. Going to have to go on one of these if we land the Lucky 63 this weekend, my friend. Uh, Jason Collett, a six-to-one. And approachability, Haley Turner for Charlie and Mark Johnston is a ten-to-one shot. Where is the money going, Mark Milligan? William Haggis again. Oi, for oi. Me. Yeah. We got the paint. <laughs> Hamaki again, just going back to Sandown on the 11th of June. I tipped him for that Sandown handicap on the uh, on the podcast. And I think, to be honest, he just shaped as if that nine furlongs was sharp enough for him. He was coming on the back of a breathing operation there. Stepped up to 10 furlongs at Haydock last time. He was a really resolute winner by half a length. And the thing with Hamaki is I think he's going to be even better over further. So his win was over 10 furlongs last time. He gets the best part of 12 furlongs at uh, Ascot this Saturday. And I think that could bring about a little bit more improvement from Hamaki. I'm obviously very, very wary of the horse. You fancy Franz Strauss mm. himself has only got the five runs under his belt, hasn't he? What did you think about his running the three-runner race at, at Sandown last time? Because I just, I just thought he looked a bit slow. Well, I like the run... Uh, at the Royal Meeting, I thought that was a, a fine effort. And I get why you're saying he looked a bit slow. I thought he went down fighting. I thought he, he gave everything that day and, and tried really hard against Australian Angel. He ended up, I mean, the official uh, line from the race reader is no match for the winner. But he did keep on 
really well. I, I, mm. I liked his attitude that day. And I think with a stronger yeah. pace and and a, and a bigger field as well, with 10 runners here, that's going to set this race up better for him. He didn't... <laughs> Uh, he didn't. The, the doubt I've I've got here is that, and if you look at his pedigree, there's speed in his pedigree. is related to five and six furlong winners. But for me, he he just looked a bit of a grinder there, and didn't look like dropping back in trip was the obvious thing to me. If anything, I thought they might want to go up a bit further with him. But as I say, I get I get why they're doing it. If you look at that pedigree, he's speed in the pedigree of time form ratings his best runs this season have come over 10 furlongs so dropping back to a mile and a half shouldn't be too much of a an inconvenience I just think that was a bit of a nothing race last time the odds on favourite disappointed was beaten four lengths essentially only left it as a, a match race uh, listen I'm, I'm here to be proven wrong and in horse racing we're wrong much more often than we're right aren't we so mm. we'll, we shall see yeah, one of the things I liked about him in terms of that race was Australian Angel was given a pretty easy time of things up front. And when you look at the time form pace map, he's one of the few horses. Like he's, uh, Franz Trauer is an absolute front runner. Um, which I'm not entirely sure why they decided to leave Australian Angel. Uh, I mean, he, he tracked the leader. Um, and he was able to pick up and, and go when he wanted. I just, I felt as though Franz Strauss wasn't given the real hurry up by Frankie to put the race to bed. My memories of, of Frankie Dettori on front runners, my favorite ever ride from him was Moon Ballad in the Dubai World Cup. And oh, the reason. Yes. Now we're talking. Yeah, the reason. <laughs> dirt racing, international racing, marks all over it. I mean, <laughs> listen, the man's supplying winners left, right, and center on the final forum podcast for UK Racing. But when we start talking about Saratoga tomorrow, wait till you hear how his voice just goes, now, let's go. Uh, so, Moon Ballad on the Dirt under Frankie. I'm telling my friend Donal, shout out to Donal, who's back from Australia uh, for, th- for the month. Um, and there will be an epic session next week with him. I said, Frankie's going to stack them up, and when they round the final bend, he's going to put them all to sleep. And that's exactly how that played out. And it was a terrific performance from the Moon Ballad. Now, Franz Strauss is... I think it's worth, yeah. Fra- it's worth bearing in mind as well, just touching back up Moon Ballad, he wasn't a straightforward horse, was he? Oh, he was not, no. He was he a was, quirk he back. Was, uh, I think, oh, being, I think being, suggesting he's quirky is being kind to him. <laughs> <laughs> he was a right bastard. Um, but a very, very talented horse on his day. And... Um, he was third in the derby behind High Chaparral and Hawkwing uh, and then came out and blitzed his rivals in the Dubai World Cup. But he, that was vintage Frankie de Tori. Uh, now, Franz Strauss is nowhere near that level and never will be. But looking back on that race, maybe he didn't have the ammunition. Maybe Franz Strauss just wasn't able to. But I thought that he was going to really put them to bed. And instead, Balding's horse just managed to go pick him up as he wanted. And I felt that there was more. I felt the fact that Franz Strauss battled back the way he did suggested there was more. So I'm hoping that what they do is they take the rest, race by the scruff of the neck, go out, make all, and Jose Luis Martinez stays on and wins. Um, but listen, you're only getting threes about my horse. You're getting fives about yours. 
And maybe the more we talk about this, it's all about price at the end of the day. Maybe I'm becoming more interested in the William Hagasaurus. But when I looked at this this morning, and when we started, when I hit the record button on Adobe Edition, Franz Strauss was my selection. Now that you've started talking about Hamaki, when, when you said, but I am afraid of Franz Strauss, that got me even more confident I did like the performance yeah. last time. I, I thought he, he fought really well. And I'm not that worried about him going back in trip. I actually think this is more more of his distance. I think 12 furlongs is better for him uh, as opposed to, to stretching him out to the St. Ledger trip of a mile and six. Maybe that just caught him out a little bit. Maybe he's not that good. But I, this, this is a, a winnable race. Um, it, it's intriguing to me that Berkshire Breeze was in a maiden at Lingfield for the weekend as well. Uh, but has decided to take this option. Why you would have your horse in a maiden when you can win a seventy-five grand handicap? I mean, yeah. it's it's not much of a it's not much yeah. of a discussion. The only thing I would say about it is it does suggest that perhaps Andrew Balding is very much of the mindset that this horse needs to win to learn how to do that, give himself the confidence, and then move on. And the fact that they even had him in the maiden is a bit of is a bit off-putting. Um, so Franz Strauss was the one I landed on. I thought I, I liked the performance last time out. I, I know a lot of people didn't, you didn't, but I got the feeling that if Frankie had made more use of him in front, he actually would have won. I think you've just made a really, really good point about the race as well, because it's just not that deep a race, is it? No, it's not, no. We've got four or five of the runners are rated in the seventies here. And I, I, and you've also got horses in the middling parts of the weights like Berkshire Breeze, Pub Crawl, Charles Street, who don't really know how to win, do they? That's what I like about Hamaki. He's shown he can win races. He's shown that tenacity. And I think he's one of the few in here who really, really will guts it out if it becomes a bit of a fight. We're changing the lucky 63 to Hamaki. And if Franz Strauss comes and does me in an epic finish where Franz Strauss goes out, makes all, and Hamaki fails to get there under a late Jamie Spencer ride, then it's going to be egg all over my face. I'll have to tweet out the meme of egg on face. Uh, five to one with Kaluki is what you're getting about Hamaki. And, uh, and I'm switching. I'm switching because Mark Milligan has, has talked him up so much. Um, mark of 87 from he's carrying 9 stone 10 front stress 10 stone uh, egg on face gif to be tweeted out if Franz Strauss goes and wins oh, oh no uh, right Admiral D has been supported from 4 to 1 to 100 to 30 not a massive move but significant enough Richard Fahey Joanna Mason on board and I like this horse an awful lot I think he is a lot more to come as a sprinter uh, they tried him over 7 furlongs Back to sprinting distances. This should be perfect for him. Comes out of stall six, 130 with Kaluki Sportsbook. William Haggis has Jose Luis Martinez uh, drawn for Rosina, 100 to 30. Spangle Mac, George Bowie, and Nicola Curry, four to one. And uh, we've got conflict uh, reserve at the moment for Andrew Balding, eight to one shot. Ade in Asia, Harry Dunlop, Neil Callan on board, 10 to one. Mark Milligan, talk to me, 505 at Ascot, live on ITV. Yeah, you like Admiral D, don't you? And I, I can I can see why. That was a really good run in a really deep handicap last time, wasn't it? Yeah. At Newmarket. That was just his third start for Richard Fahey there. And there's obviously plenty of potential still 
within Admiral D. He's relatively lightly raced since he's joined a stable that knows how to get the best out of these types of horses. I absolutely 100% concur that Admiral D has a great chance, but I'm going against him. Oh, no. Oh, come on, man. <laughs> you were building that up. You You've done that deliberately. Building it. Oh, I like, really like it. And now here we come to crush him. All right, talk to me, sir. Can you, guess, can you get... It's, it's not Rosina, is it? It's not the William Haggis trained Rosina. Yeah, it's, it's the William Haggis trained Rosina. My goodness. All right, talk to me. Come on. She's a sprinter, and it's taken them four runs to figure it out. She won over seven furlongs on debut, and she was then beaten twice at short odds, seven furlongs, seven and a half furlongs. Didn't look like she had any obvious excuses. It transpires from her win last time at Carlisle that the obvious excuse was she's a sprinter, and she won a relatively... And, and I'm, I'm using this advisedly. She won a Newbury Maiden, and, and normally Newbury Maidens are quite good. Now, I think this one was, was no exception, but I think she did catch one or two newcomers cold there. They dropped her back in trip last time, and it was only a 0 to 85 at Carlisle, but she was impressive despite only winning by three parts of a length. The way she travelled through that race suggested to me that she's going to make a mark at a higher level than not to 85 company. She's got it to prove here. I absolutely will stand up. I'll be the first to admit that her form isn't as good going into this race as the form of Admiral D, but she does get nine pounds off that one. And William Haggis, particularly with Phillies, once he gets them on a roll, once he gets them improving, they tend to stay on the right track. Yeah, that's a very fair shout to make. Um, once he gets them rolling, they keep on going. And um, I still like Admiral D, and this one I'm not going to be talked out of. But I'm, uh, on the basis of new evidence, I'm not switching my allegiance this time around. But you do make a very <laughs> compelling case for Rosina, who's very consistent too, uh, and also has all other form to bring to, to Ascot. Uh, comes out of stall two, four runs, two wins, two thirds. And uh, you're 100% right, the horse is... The horse is a sprinter, uh, and, and that is that. That's the 505. That is the last race uh, at Ascot uh, and the Shergar Cup Day that we'll be talking about. We're going to switch to Newmarket before hitting the Curra. Uh, the Juicin Sweet Solera Stakes, Group 3, Lakota Sioux, Charlie and Mark Johnston, son of Sioux Nation, daughter of Sioux Nation even. Well, it would make sense seeing as it's the Sweet Solera Stakes. Uh, 11 to 4 from 7 to 2 with Kaluki Sportsbook, James Doyle on board for Charlie and Mark Johnston about the daughter of Sioux Nation out of a Dalacani mare. Ivory Madonna for Richard Spencer and Richard Kingscote is a 4-1 to one shot. Novaki, Carl Burke and Clifford Lee, 4-1 to one as well. And uh, Elsie Up, Ishmael Mohammed, Sean Levy, 6-1. to one. A beat Luck and Brew, who was very disappointing at the weekend um, for Rafe Beckett. And Charlie Hills and PJ McDonald have got Lady Alara, 13-2 to two is the current betting with Kaluki Sportsbook. Um, it's an open enough renewal this year, but the market is favouring Lakota Sioux currently with Kaluki. Uh, what do you make of this year's Sweet Solera? I think the likes of Lakota Sioux and Ivory Madonna set the standard in here based on their Royal Ascot form. They've both got, they've both got really good runs to their name at Royal Ascot, haven't they? Mm. Um, Lakota Sioux was third 
in the Chesham. Ivory Madonna, she was uh, third in that really good Albany stakes, wasn't she, behind a couple of favourites of ours, Meditate and Morge. Yeah. The problem with Ivory Madonna is she just was she was disappointing last time in a maiden at Newmarket, wasn't she? She was sent off 11 to 8, could only finish second. It just leads me to believe that perhaps that Ascot race was a flash in the pan. If she can reproduce that Albany form, she's very much the one to beat in here. But I was very taken by the debut of Novakai uh, at talking. Doncaster. Now we're talking. A couple of weeks ago. And she's got a proper pedigree, hasn't she, by Lope de Vega, out of a Nathaniel yeah. mare. Um, no surprise that she was making her debut over seven furlongs. I think ultimately she's going to be a middle distance performer as a, a three-year-old, isn't she? But that was a, a most taking debut. She quickened clear. She won by four and a quarter lengths under Tom Eaves. The, the time figure on the day backed up that it was a performance of substance. Obviously, the waters are much deeper here. I got stung a couple of weeks ago with a similar or similarly owned no, no, actually she was owned by the same owners wasn't she um, the filly of Kevin Ryan's I forget oh yes she'd won she'd won at first on debut and was stepping up into group company yeah. and proved a little bit of a disappointment um, so I'm a little bit wary on that front but Given that Ivory Madonna did disappoint in a maiden last time and that Lakota Sue has now had three runs already and probably isn't open to the same sort of progression as Novakai, I was more than happy to settle on the once-raced filly in here. That was a hugely impressive performance at Doncaster. Uh, it was good to firm ground. She was very weak in the betting that day as well. But her stride, the way she powered clear, um, uh, and I like the fact that she's stoutly bred too. Uh, you know, I'm sure it was a pleasant surprise. Carl Burke's horses have been just cleaning up in the juvenile division this season, and this is another prize that can go to them. Novakai uh, for Carl Burke, four to one with Kaluki Sportsbook. We'll move to the Curra. Uh, we'll just briefly talk about the Rathasker Sud Stud, even uh, Phoenix Sprint Stakes. Won by the great One Cool Cat back in the day, who also won uh, the feature race on the card. And uh, on the theme of One Cool Cat, New York City it goes for Aidan O'Brien. I wouldn't be surprised if he runs a big race. We've no betting on this race. Uh, his form doesn't look up to scratch. He was he beats Straight Answer, who's done nothing since, and reopposes here. Uh, he ran a, a good race when beaten by Twilight Jet. Hasn't really backed up the form, and, and then he was beaten eight lengths uh, at the Curra last time. But he missed the month of June. He'd been off for a little bit. They were looking at Royal Ascot with him. They didn't send him in the end. Cadamosto ran a, a big race in the Commonwealth, um, and he'd finished in front of him. Coolmore have sold a number of horses. Sussex was racing for Joseph O'Brien last week at Goodwood. Uh, Cleveland has been moved to Joseph and will be heading down under. Uh, he runs tonight, Thursday, at Leopardstown. Um, there's another one gone as well. Star of India is gone. Uh, they sold him. So they sold off a number of horses. They didn't sell him. I think there's more to come from him. 
He's an invincible spirit out of a diktat. Uh, he's pacey. I really liked the performance at, at Navin. Visually, he was very impressive, but the way he strided out that day. Uh, and I particularly liked how he won under Wayne Lorden at, at Navin. I even liked the performance when he was second to Twilight Jet. I thought that he showed a, a nice turn of foot that day and on good to firm ground. It's beautiful weather here in Ireland. Uh, the going is good currently at the Curra. It should be at least good given the forecast for Saturday. Uh, it may even be good to firm. And that's all going to suit this son of Invincible Spirit. Um, and Invincible Spirits are a bit of a, a rarity at, at uh, Ballydoyle, but I think this fellow is capable of, of going close. Not necessarily saying he's going to win, but it's an open enough renewal. Um, and the sprinting division isn't exactly very strong. I'd have been really sweet on Romantic Proposal had she lined up, but fair play to Sarah Lynham. She told me yesterday that, that the horse wouldn't. Uh, they have other targets in mind for her. And uh, we'll have Sarah on the final final podcast very, very soon. Um, who do you like, my friend? Yeah, I'm kind of with you, actually. Um, I, Let's go! I was, <laughs> I was really impressed by New York City's first couple of starts this season when he, he absolutely hacked up in a Navin maiden, didn't he? Then beat straight answer in a listed race back there. Like you said, that one hasn't done a lot for the form, but they're, they're setting behind Twilight Jet. At the time, I thought it was a little bit disappointing because I had this horse, New York City, pegged for the Commonwealth Cup at Royal Ascot. I genuinely thought he'd be a proper contender there. That's what I was thought. a little bit disappointed. Yeah. Do you think he just didn't face up to the blinkers first time, last time? Do you think he I got that impression. Yeah, I got that impression that they, they were trying something um, and it didn't work. And it's very intriguing that the blinkers are left off with Ryan Moore back on board now this weekend. He, sometimes they just don't take to them. And I, I suspect that's what happened with him. Yeah, I, I think you could well be right and like you say the the sprinting division itself particularly in Ireland is not particularly deep and Awful. this isn't that this isn't the deepest group three that that's ever been run if you look at official ratings go bears go is top with 112 New York City has an official rating of 106 well in a five furlong race there you're talking less than two six furlong race sorry you're talking less than two lengths there and that can be just a horse getting stopped in its run or whatever so I, I expect he'll be a bit of a price in here despite the connections won't he given that his last run was so poor so he could be just a touch of value New York City should be a decent price whole mad tough don't go mad in the overnights wait till Saturday morning then strike strike with everything you have we're not overly confident about it don't go wild but you know you know, we, we like to have a bit of fun in the final for long. Uh, the Keenan Phoenix Stakes. This is going to be live on ITV, which is great. Fair play to Ed and the team for showing it. And I know the Curra will appreciate it too. Just the six runners. You know, there's a good bit of talk on, in um, the Racing Post today about how some of the races for the Racing League and for the Shergar Cup haven't attracted the big fields. Well, neither is the Phoenix Stakes. Uh, Bradsell it is, is a quality race, though. It's a quality renewal. I will say that. Uh, Holly Doyle, obviously, is is over. Uh, she'll be taking part in the Phoenix Sprint, and she's going to be on Archie Watson's Bradsell, who is your 15-8 favourite with Kaluki Sportsbook, who go 2-1 to one about Little Big Bear, the Royal Ascot hero. Persian Force, Ross Ryan and Richard Hannon, 9-2. to two. Blackbeard who comes from the Coventry, which has worked out exceptionally well, given the fact that the runner-up 
won a Group 2 next time out, uh, as did the third. Uh, those races at Newmarket and Goodwood. And then Blackbeard himself comes out and wins at Chantilly, having run a fine race in the railway. And before that, we talked about it on the final furlong. It might have been with Oshin. He was doing a bit of dressage before the railway stakes. Did you see that when he was down at the start, by any chance? He was acting yeah. a maggot. <laughs> uh, he was literally, he was doing, we have foxes that come into our garden and they all have their own unique habits. And it's really interesting to see. We have Felix, who's a, a three-legged fox, and his his daughters, or son and daughter. Uh, and when we give them bonios and pedigree chum, and um, he just goes and eats it. But his his little ones, they they claw at it first of all to almost bring it up further in the grass, and then they go and eat it. But they always claw at the food first. If not the pedigree chum, but the bonios, they'll claw at that. And that's what Blackbeard was doing. He was clawing at the ground, getting his hoof out, clawing it. And th- it was like he was doing a bit of dressage. And then he went down on his on his belly. It was a really bizarre thing to see. Uh, so he's five to one currently with Kaluki. And of course, he's come out and won uh, after. So he's won really he won really well that day to be beaten by, by Shartash. He's then gone and battered the Antarctic uh, at Shanti, having traveled over for that. And I'll, I'll expand more on that in a second. Shartash is nine to one, and was elevens. Johnny Murta said this is a guinea source. Uh, very unusual for the Aga Khan to have a horse like this, but he's very hopeful that he's a guinea source. He's nine to one. He beat Age of Kings, who's done nothing for the form, to be fair. Uh, but that was impressive that day. An invincible spirit out of a Dubawi mare. Ben Cohen obviously retains the ride. No, we'll come back to that in a second. Uh, an Apache outlaw is the 42-1 outsider, Declan McDonough, for Joseph O'Brien. Uh, Churchill, um, who was, maybe he's too big a price. He was third in the in the railway uh, when a 22's chance the last day. I'm a little bit surprised that Blackbeard takes up this engagement. And the reason I'm a bit surprised about that is because after he won in France... The talk was that they were going to run one of Blackbeard or Little Big Bear in the Phoenix, and the other would go for the pre-morne. Yet here we are, and uh, Little Big Bear and Blackbeard both line up. Pick the bones out of that one, my friend. Yeah, it's uh, interesting, isn't it? And of course, Ryan Moore is on Little Big Bear. We've, we've spoken plenty on the, the pod, haven't we, about Little Big Bear over the past month or two and I think it's probably fair to say he's just about at the head of the pecking order at Ballydoyle isn't he oh, at definitely. the moment definitely and that um, we, we talked about his Royal Ascot win and what was even more impressive about it was watching the drone footage because when you see him I'd love it if um, if ITV did more of this and I don't know what the rules are in terms of having the drone in the air during racing but that drone footage is gold and when you watch him from the aerial view, it's a more impressive performance. You see the ground he had to make up and how he did so. Um, but just to go back to Blackbeard for a brief second, the Antarctic won in France on Monday uh, in Group 3 company. It was the Dali Prix de Cabot. So his form is, is really working out well. But anyway, we'll, we'll keep going with, uh, with Little Big Bear. He's definitely the leader in the clubhouse for Coolmore right now and, and for Bally Doyle right now. Uh, and a very, very exciting prospect. Yeah, absolutely. And 
like you say, he's done he's done nothing wrong at all winning his last three starts. I'm kind of with you on Shartash. I'm not sure why Shartash is quite as big as he is when you consider his very closely matched with Blackbeard. This is just it's just an absolute cracker, isn't it? I'm really this is the highlight of the weekend for me, this race. I think it's such a good race. And of course, we haven't really yet touched on Bradsell, who Archie mm. Watson is quoted as saying, I think, in the press this week, can't, he can't go with Glenn Shield. Sorry, Glenn Shield can't go with Bradsell. And, of course, Glenn Shield is a Group 1 winner, isn't he? Did he say why he can't go with... Um, with I, I read some quotes, and he basically said that he's got Glenn Shield, and I think the horse who was second in the Stewards' Cup, the name escapes me at the moment, he said neither of those are fast enough to lead Bradsell, basically. They can't Whoa. get a lead horse for him because they don't have anything fast enough. Oh, do you know how dumb mentioned... I am? Do you know how dumb I am? <laughs> let me let me expand on that for you. And by the way, if you were if you're with me on this, right? If you fell for the same thing, if you're to quote Oshin Murphy, my little mind. He said that one day. My little mind uh, was thinking this. If Oshin Murphy's got a little mind, how small is mine? When you said he couldn't go, I genuinely thought. Oh, Glenn Shield's not coming over to the curl. Why is that? <laughs> Dumb idiot. Absolute moron me. Uh, apologies. So what you're saying is he can't lay up with him in work. Yeah, basically. Not that... Yeah. Oh, the reason he's uh, not going to the curl this weekend is because... <laughs> Gee, golly, God. Uh, hey, hey, Mark, what do you fancy for the weekend? Oh, my goodness. I'm, I'm like a, a redneck, a southern redneck clown. Yeah. Uh, keep going, my friend. Keep going. Uh, Archie Watson has a, a Group 1 winning sprinter in his stable who's not fast enough to lead Bradsell Bloody by hell. all accounts. Um, so they'd be working over, that, what, they'd be working over three furlongs? Three, four furlongs, wouldn't it? And he basically said that he just he can't find a lead horse for him because he hasn't got anything fast enough. Damn. Damn. And that'll do for me. Because <laughs> <laughs> I've had that deal. Archie, Archie says it'll win, so that'll do for me. Now, he was he was so impressive in the commentary, the way he swooped down the outside, wasn't he? And that's really, really solid form. He, he took care of Persian Force and Blackbeard there. He's been, I like the way he's kind of been freshened since then as well. Just backed off him a little bit, freshened him 53 days off. Yeah. He'll come into this nice and fresh. Obviously, he's got to prove he can ship over into Bally Doyle's backyard, so to speak. Well, but, you're not um, wrong saying that because for some bizarre reason, for years, years and years, Coventry winners had a woeful record in this race. Uh, one cool cat's an example of that. He had not gone for the Coventry. The horse who did go for it, was, I think it was a Richard Hannon horse, came over. And um, he was all the rage and one cool cat stuffed him. Uh, I think Master Craftsman was a similar story. He turned the tables with the horse who beat him in the Coventry. Um, so for some, like Aidan O'Brien has farmed this race over the years. He hasn't won it for the last four years but he has won six renewals this decade, and he has an extraordinarily good record in it. Um, and I am fascinated that it's not that Aiden has an outsider here to go set the pace. Also, Aiden O'Brien's horses are just in red-hot form right now. 
They are banging in the winners, left, right, and center. Did you see Denmark the other day? Yeah, that. I'm assuming Denmark was just very green there because if he was, if that was just greenness and not the fact he's a bit quirky, then when he learns to race properly, he's going to be a machine, isn't it? Yeah, that's a good shout about him, by the way, because the the tongue was was hanging out, and Ryan did have to get a little bit busy on. I, I thought it was intriguing that he was wearing a first time tongue tie, and I think we can see why now uh, with the way that the tongue started to just. It was like Homer Simpson going for a donut. It was just all over the place. But um, he buried them. I have, sorry, I have found that Archie Watson quote. If you'd like Talk to, to me. read it. Let's hear it. In Archie Watson's Archie Watson. style of talking. Give, give it his tone. <laughs> Do his accent. I, I don't know. I don't know how he talks. <laughs> I've, I've, I've been in his company, but never spoken to him. Tell you what. Do, do, I, uh, I've stood near him in the paddock. Do what you think Archie Watson would sound like saying this. Uh, I'll I shall do what Archie Watson would sound like if he came from North Yorkshire. How's that? Oh, so in your own voice. <laughs> All right. Oh, God. So, come on. Anyway, we digress. This is what Archie Watson said about Bradsell. He's very, very talented. I do try to keep things understated and let the horses do the talking, but his homework is very good. The best of anything I've trained in terms of what he's done on the gallops. It's very hard to find him a lead horse because he'll just gallop all over Glen Shiel, a Group 1 winner, and Tab Deed, second in the Stewards' Cup the other day. They'd struggle to lead him very far at all. He's very talented. Bloody hell. There you have it. That's uh, that's, uh, an intriguing one. Um, look, he's obviously the one they have to beat. He's beaten Blackbeard already, and and claimed that scalp. It's it's going to be fascinating to see what Little Big Bear can do. Um, we just expand on on Blackbeard for a second. So that that point about the Antarctic, like burying him by three lengths in France. The Antarctic goes to Deauville uh, and goes and wins in Group Three company. Um, he was second to Chartache in, in the group two, having acted the maggot beforehand uh, and then beats his stable companion. So he is very experienced. He's got three wins, which I really liked all three. He was very well backed in the Coventry. There was a massive weight of cash for Age of Kings, which should have resulted in Blackbeard drifting. He didn't. He didn't drift at all. Uh, so the money was down. And I said this before, when it, when there's big money from Coolmore, same applies to Willie Mullins. When it's a big stable and there's a market move that you can't fully explain, it tends to mean this horse is going to... If it, the horse doesn't perform on the day, there's a big performance coming. And that was a fine effort, I thought, in the railway stakes. I watched it back uh, today. Uh, we need to expand on Chartash as well. Um, I watched that back today. I thought he did really well because he, uh, because of the antics he he'd gotten up to beforehand, uh, and then uh, with Irad, uh, oh jeez, oh, my mouth words have completely gone. This is great. I've only got a five hour Talksport two show coming up uh, in a little bit. Jeez, I'll just keep saying right, Lizzie Kelly, you talk. Idos uh, Mindizibal, who's had great success for Aiden O'Brien over the years. Uh, he was effusive in his praise afterwards and um, Miguel Barcelona was on the Antarctic and all he could see was was Blackbeard's back end. I am very intrigued 
by the fact that they have decided to run both of them. Because Aiden has put big price horses in here in the past to go blaze a trail uh, and, and make the running. And sometimes those horses have held on. Sometimes they're big prices and it turns out they weren't actually in there to set a, a good pace. They were in there to, to win. Um, and case of who's good enough on the day. But I suspect that Ryan Moore was always going to go with Little Big Bear, but there's probably a part of him that's going, ooh, Blackbeard's going to be a big danger. And, and the five to one... Like the thing I love about this time of year and these kind of races, it's the excitement, it's the unknown, it's the potential of what these horses horses could go on to do. I think Blackbeard is very, very good. I think Little Big Bear is very, very good. Bradsell clearly as well, but I'm very, very intrigued in in Blackbeard. Do you think there's a, an element as well? And I think we're all guilty of it in racing to a certain extent because Blackbeard has run so many times already. And we're only just into August. In, in that, we tend to we we tend to prefer the horses with the sexier profiles, don't we? The the once or twice raced ones, and sometimes the ones that turn up every other week or whatever, and and are just battle hardened warriors can tend to get a little bit overlooked, can't they? Or, or am I just speaking rubbish there? No, you're not speaking rubbish at all. That's a hundred percent. That's a hundred percent fact. Um, I, I think that it's a very good point to make as well. Yeah, we do tend to, well, not everybody, but some people tend to gravitate towards the unknown the because there's then a bit of hype about those horses as well. They're not out there. Like, this is six races that, this is going to be the seventh race for Blackbeard um, on Saturday. So we know this horse now. We have a fair. We're still getting to know him in the sense that he's gone and won a Group Two in France. Can he be a Group One class horse? I think he can be, and I think he can turn that form around from the Coventry as well. Uh, and people will dispute that because they'll look at it and say, "Well, hang on a second. He had two runs before. In fact, he had three runs before running at Ascot. So that was his fourth start. It was only Brad Sell's second lifetime start. So Brad Sell's only having his third. There must be then more to come. It doesn't always work that way." And certainly with an Aiden O'Brien juvenile, it's impossible to know whether they're going to go forward, stay where they are, or regress. Some of them regress. Most of them go forward. Some stay where they are. Um, I suspect Little Big Bear is uh, Little Big Bear is a horse who's continued to continue to improve. I suspect Blackbeard has got an awful lot more in the locker. And the very fact that Coolmore have decided, yeah, we'll go for this, when they could be going for other options, they could be taking him elsewhere. That says an awful lot to me. Um, but you you are right. That profile of horse, we do tend to gravitate towards that profile. Yeah, which I think um, a lot of people are going to gravitate towards Bradsell simply based on, on that profile, aren't they? He's only raced twice. He's unbeaten. He was an impressive winner last time. But that's all factored into the market, isn't it? Why is he 2-1, to 7-4, to four, something? Like that. Yeah, Brad Sell is 15 to 8 currently with Kaluki. Little yeah. Big Bear, by the way, since we've been talking, Little Big Bear 9 to 4. So he's he's edged out a little bit from twos. So you're getting 9 to 4 now with Kaluki, which is the best price you can get. Uh, and Blackbeard is still holding holding tough at fives. I think I, I didn't have an overly strong view in this race. I, I think the words of. Archie Watson are very infectious. You can clearly yeah. see he's got loads of confidence in Bradsell. But just going back to where we were right at the beginning, I think Shartash, who is very closely matched 
on form with Blackbeard, and we've been singing Blackbeard's praises all the way through this preview. If you like Blackbeard, you've got to like Shartash, haven't you, at a much bigger price. Well, here's the thing. That, uh, Kaluki, I love you, uh, and thanks very much for doing this. The 9-1 to one is obscene. Like, that's obscene! The, the point was being made on racing TV, it was, must have been Gary O'Brien, it has to have been, the GOAT, uh, on Derby Day, that the Aga Khan, how did he work? The Aga Khan's been involved in, in Irish racing for decades, but he'd never won the railway stakes because this is not the kind of horse he breeds. And Johnny Murta was on with him afterwards. They were interviewing Johnny and talking uh, about the horse. And, and Johnny was, was saying, yeah, I, I rang him and I was saying, we, I need to enter this horse for the Phoenix Stakes. Um, and they're like, do you mean the National Stakes? No, 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 the Phoenix. And they were kind of like taken aback that he even wanted to do that before the railway because this is not the kind of horse the Aga Khan breeds. Uh, and Johnny Murta was effusive in his praise of the horse afterwards and was saying, yeah, the, look, the dream is the guineas. Um, and nothing's changed. You know, the only thing that, that's changed is that Blackbeard has gone on and won in France. And the horse he beat, his stable companion, the Antarctic, the full brother to Batash, won on Monday. That's the only thing that's changed. So you're getting five to one about Blackbeard, nine to one about Shartash. Uh, I've got to have a few shekels on Shartash. I have to. And, and I'm more than likely going to be playing the reverse forecast Black, Blackbeard and Shartash. Because I did not feel that that was a fluke. I did not feel that that was a fluke at all. I think Blackbeard can turn the form around with him, but I'm not 100% on that. It's all about price in this game, isn't it? And the, the simple facts of the matter are that Shartash has already beaten Blackbeard once, and yet he's a bigger price. And I think it's just a no-brainer to gravitate towards Shartash, given that he is open to as much improvement as any of these here. And he's another one who's just been given a little break, hasn't he? So he's coming in relatively fresh. Uh, Invincible Spirit has clearly injected a lot of speed into this horse as well, out of a Dubawi mare. Yeah, so the official ratings have Shartash on 106, Persian Force 110, Little Big Bear 110, Bradsell 114, Blackbeard 115. Pick the bones out of that one. Uh, should we just quickly give the time form ratings? Bradsell 123, P... This is what you should be doing. Uh, Little Big Bear, 117p. Blackbeard, 118 plus. Shartash, 113p. What's the difference between p and plus, for those who don't know? Yeah, with a, a p, basically, um, you would be quite confident that the, a horse with a p would be open to more improvement. Basically, the p standing for progression, improvement, or whatever. A plus could be given to a horse in circumstances where they may not necessarily be open to more improvement or as much improvement as a horse with a P, but they could be better than they've been rated, if that makes sense. So what, what we'd be saying there with a plus on Blackbeard is that, look, he's already got six starts under his belt. The prospect that he could have an awful lot more to come is probably unlikely, but he could be better than his current rating. Mm. And that's the opinion of the private handicappers at Time Forum, Pro Forum as well, Racing Post ratings. What are the RP, RP wars for this, actually? 
Uh, Bradsell 122, Little Big Bear 120, Blackbeard 118, Shartash 115. It's interesting, isn't it, that both um, the RPRs and ourselves at time form are, are, are a fair bit at odds with the official handicapper here. Yeah. Who, who's got Blackbeard top interest. Yeah, and it's a game of opinions, isn't it? And worth bearing in mind that obviously the the official handicapper has taken a, a very positive view on that performance in France when he beat the Antarctic because Sh- uh, Blackbeard's rating was 105, Chartash 106 for the railway, and it now jumps to 115. And I agree with that because I was very impressed with the performance as well. That was a hugely impressive performance in France. You can watch it back on Sky uh, or on the At The Races app if you haven't seen it. Um, it's, it's well worth watching, as is the Antarctic's win on Monday, by the way. Um, I think I'm doing the Shartash Blackbeard reverse forecast, and if Little Big Bear or Bradsell does me, well then, fair enough. Um, if I'm beaten by one of them, take it on the chin. But 9-1 to one is too big about Shartash, and uh, I like Blackbeard, and I'm intrigued that they've decided to run him. Very briefly, Rose of Lancaster stakes, good to soft ground, Haydock, normally you need a nuclear submarine to get around there, but... On the good to soft ground at Haydock, over a mile and two and a half a furlong, Grocer Jack for William Haggis and Tom Marquand is the 7-4 to four favourite. Owen Burrows and Jim Crowley with Anne Matt, Passion and Glory, Sidebin Soror and Louis Stewart, 11-2. to two. Talk to me. Who wins? Yeah, I think this basically revolves around whether Grocer Jack can reproduce his performance in listed company at Newbury last time, where he absolutely smashed up Cadillac from the front by nine lengths in a performance that even though it came in a listed race would have been good enough to be competitive in minor group one company. It was quite a forward step from what he'd achieved previously, but it's worth noting that he's not been with the William Haggis yard for too long. You are going to have to take a relatively short price, I think, though, about something that wouldn't have a cast iron guarantee coming with it. For me, he's the most likely winner in here. Would I back him at seven to four, 13 to eight ish? Possibly not. I'd maybe be more inclined to go with Said Binsero's passion and glory from an each way perspective. He's been a little bit in and out, but he was right back to his best when he beat Regal Reality at Sandown last time. And I guess for all that we've talked up William Haggis in this podcast so far today, I'm just I'm just a little bit sceptical about that grosser Jack Newbury performance. It was almost too good to be true. He wasn't with Haggis long when he went to Saudi Arabia um, and finished fifth in a race that was probably worth about a billion. Uh, and he spent a lot of time when he was trained in Germany, running in Italian, French, uh, and German group races, and you know, when you're running in, in French group races, you're obviously, you got good prize money, but you're also keeping a, a fairly strong standard of form. Um, and he's an intriguing purchase. You know, as a as a five-year-old horse who's still a, a full entire. Um, but I did just wonder if that was a little bit too good to be true at, at Newbury. I was, mm. I was a little bit like you. When I horse, think you've also... There, there was a line in in a book, it was Mel Cullinan wrote an article, I've probably butchered his last name, but I'm sorry, but Mel w- would write some really interesting takes, and one of the things he said when I was getting into betting 
was beware wide margin winners next time out. And I always have been. Yeah. And I'm, I'd be wary of him. And I'm with you about passion and glory. Uh, Sai Ben Soror is having a, a good season, um, uh, which is nice to see, by the way, because I'm a big fan of Sai Ben 863000 in prize money. It was, uh, I think he, he had, that might have been his prize money for last year, near enough. And he's on that already. Uh, and, and Passion and Glory is a solid, consistent horse who's, you know, he himself was, was coming back from international travels to, to win at Sandown uh, last time out. It doesn't read as well as a nine-length hammering of Cadillac, but I'm suspect about that. And I'd rather take the 11-2 to two about Passion and Glory than the 7-4 to four about Grocer Jack. Yeah, the other thing to bear in mind is that Grocer Jack produced that wide margin win at Newbury from the front last time with, yeah, he went solid in a fractions, but he wasn't taken on at any point. And in here, we've got Peter the Great of John Gosden's who has led on each of his last three starts, winning two of them. So there's every yeah. possibility that Grocer Jack will not get the same setup here. If he doesn't get the same setup, is he the same horse? I'm not prepared to go in at a shortish price to find out. And that's where that time form pace map is absolutely invaluable when you can see that. He is going to be pushed uh, for the lead and um, he won't get things his own way. Maybe they'll ride him differently. Maybe they'll they'll go back to just pressing the leader. They might do that, but is that going to be enough for him to win? I'm not so sure. Uh, Passion and Glory is rock solid and that was, that was a really solid performance at Sandown last time. Okay, my friend. Tell me who we're filling the satchels up with to have a bet on. We're, the little bags are ready. We're going to be heading <laughs> up and down the lines, but who are we backing? I was very keen on him for Royal Ascot. I thought he ran a really good race in a big field, handicap. I think he'll be part of what should be a really good day for William Haggis at Ascot on Saturday, and it's in the 3.55. It's Montessim. Montessim! Let's get on! Happy days, happy days. I'm loving that. Uh, for me, Novakai for Carl Burke, Clifford Lee. Not going, not going to disagree with that. The Lope de Vega. Let's go, sweet Solera Stakes. Uh, and listen, that that uh, Phoenix is going to be a, an absolute gold mine of a race, uh, and it's going to be a race we're going to be talking about. Uh, for most of the season. We're doing a Bloodstock special with Elena Cullen next week from TDN, which I'm looking forward to. We're also going to look back on some of the best two-year-olds and two-year-olds to follow from the season so far. Um, And other special shows coming as well. So I'm looking forward to doing that. Uh, If you are listening to this podcast Thursday evening, TalkSport 2, coverage of the Racing League, have a listen. Uh, We talked to Bobby Beavers about autism and racing which is an incredible initiative that Bobby is doing. It's very close to his heart. Uh, Also chatting to the legend Mick Quinn. And uh, it's Lizzie Kelly, Tony McCormick and myself. So tune in. Uh, We're on air Friday as well. And Mark and I are back with another weekend preview for the Sunday series uh, on Friday as well. But hopefully there's bucket loads of gravy. Gravy splashing all over the place. And uh, fair play to Tuwala. There we go. The bags have been filled up. The little bags have been filled up, my friend. First business class seats booked, heading over to the race courses, hitting the Kaluki stalls for uh, the Shergar Cup Day. Kaluki, the team from Kaluki are going to be there. They have their pitches ready, and we're heading on over to them and saying, lads, what price are you giving us about the Mark Milligan nap? 
Let's go! Uh, right, enjoy the weekend. We're back on Friday for part two for the Sunday series uh, from Mark and myself. Be safe, be well, God bless. The Final Furlong Podcast is proudly brought to you by our official betting partner, Kaluki Sportsbook. With betting on all sports, immediate interaction with experienced traders, instant withdrawals, and the best odds guaranteed on UK and Irish horse racing. Kaluki have prominent betting pitches at race courses across the UK. Join us now at kalukisportsbook.co.uk. And the final furlong is brought to you by our official syndicate partner, All About Sunday. The ultimate racehorse ownership experience. Download the app to get involved with world-class trainers, including Henry DeBromhead, Gordon Elliott, and Donald McKay. Join us at allaboutsunday.com. Ah, mmm. The first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at caskers.com.